Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Sometimes when having discussions with people about the law and sin and obedience and those things that we usually associate with religion and religious behavior, the study of the scriptures, the Christian life, sometimes when I speak with people about these things, I ask the question, what do you really expect the law to do for you? Why do you pursue the law that God gave? And what are your expectations concerning this law? What do you really expect either from the law or from God in response or maybe from yourselves? Or what do you expect from other people? What are your expectations? And I think this is a very important question to ask because Your expectations will have an effect on you, and it will also have an effect on others. And in many cases, our expectations are a little unrealistic. And when our expectations are unrealistic and and they are not fulfilled in the way that we expect them to be fulfilled, then there can be an opportunity for a significant amount of depression. And there should be. And that's not to say that there's something wrong with God or that there's something wrong with His law or that we should perhaps not take sin so seriously. Maybe we shouldn't take it so seriously. Maybe our expectations are too high of ourselves. These are the kinds of things that people start thinking about and talking about. But I want you to know that I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I really don't. I personally think that an individual needs to ask the question, what do you expect the law to do for you? Because people look at the law with specific expectations. And these expectations are not necessarily unrealistic. And I really want you to think about that, that you should have some realistic expectations concerning the law. Because when God revealed the law to us, and when he spoke to us about sin and righteousness and obedience and repentance, when he spoke to us about these things, he told us that we should have some realistic expectations. For example, when he gave the law, he said that if you will obey all of the commandments that he would bless you, that he will intervene in your life in a divine way, and he will ensure that you are recognized. That's what he said. The challenge, however, to individuals is that they have to obey all of the commandments, all of them, not just some of them, not the ones that are easy, not the ones that seem appealing or that seem to be more socially acceptable. It has nothing to do with that at all. It has to do with the fact that you have to be fully, completely obedient to all of them because that is the expectation that God gave concerning the law. But people have different ideas concerning the law, and the reason why I say that is because I've asked. I've asked people, what do you expect the law to do for you? What do you really expect it to do? And people have answered this question in a variety of ways. They will say things like, well, I expect that I will be rewarded. I expect that I will be blessed. They say that I expect that I will have an improvement in my family life and in my relationships with other people. I expect that I will be able to change in a way that I will be more like who God wants me to be. 
These are the kinds of things that people expect of the law. They expect this to do this for them, which is why they pursue it. So when you look at the law that God gave and you look at it carefully thinking, this is going to do something for me, you had better answer that question about what you really think it's going to do for you. Now, I, of course, believe in the law. I do. I believe that the law is of God. I believe that it is true and right. But the problem that I face with a lot of people is that I believe that the law was given to do one thing, and they believe that the law was given to do something else. So this question of what do you expect the law to do for you is one that I expect everyone should have an answer for. That there should be no confusion and no doubt in anyone's mind concerning the law. That you personally had better answer this question for yourself. So that if I was to ask you, what do you expect the law to do, you will have an answer. And even though I may disagree with your answer, you take your answer seriously. And you live your life by it. And you commit yourself to what you decide. And really devote everything about who you are to what you believe. I really want to encourage you to do that, even though... I believe that a lot of people will commit themselves to things that I don't believe. I have a point of view with regards to the law. There are people who have a different point of view, in many cases a totally opposite point of view. But I really believe that if a person will be truly committed and devoted to what they believe, if they are wrong, it will eventually be realized to them. It will eventually show in their life in such a way that they will be exposed to the truth and they will have an opportunity to recognize the purpose for the law in their lives. When I look at the law and I ask myself the question, what do I expect the law to do for me? There was a time in my life when I expected that the law would do one thing for me only to discover that it did not and that it wouldn't, it couldn't, it never would. I believe that the law would give me a way of living, a way of life, so that I could be the kind of person that God wanted me to be. I believe that. And I believed that it would give me the opportunity to live my life with safety and security, that I would have a God who would be behind me and in front of me, who would ensure that I would experience success as long as I was devoted to righteousness and honesty and integrity. I believe that, that that was what the law was for. It was given so that it could do something for me, and these are the kinds of things that I believed. What do I believe now? I do believe that he promised that in order to inspire me, in order to direct me. I do believe that. But what I didn't know is that the Lord said those things. He gave those promises in order to direct me to him so that he could eventually show me that there really was something wrong with me. And then he revealed to me that that was what the law was for. It was not given so that it would do something for me in my flesh. It was given so that it would do something for me in my heart. And what it did was show me the emptiness in my heart. That's what he gave it for. He gave it to do that, to show you the emptiness in your heart to show us that we have no opportunity for anything, that He will never owe us anything, that He will never intervene in our lives in a divine way 
for any reason at all, because we will never obey. We will never obey. We will never repent. He didn't make us to function that way. And so why should we be so surprised when we discover that there's something wrong with us? Because there is. And what's wrong with us is that we do not live in reality. We live in a fantasy, a fantasy of our own imagination, a fantasy of our own creation. And we do not recognize very easily that we are not as impressive as we think we are. But my friend, we have got to come to that point. We have got to come to the point of recognizing that we have a problem, that we have a serious issue, that we have got issues and concerns that have to be addressed, and these issues and concerns have to do with sin. So instead of looking at the law in the context of what do you think it's going to do for you, you think that it's going to provide you with an opportunity such that God is going to owe you because of your repentance and obedience. That simply is never going to happen. So let's look at it from a different point of view. How about this is going to be the list of things, the instruction from God to say that if you will live this way, you will stop sinning. So let's not look at it in terms of what you're going to get from God. How about how it's going to change you as a person? It will, it will give you what you need to know so that you will stop sinning. Maybe that's how it's going to work in your life. Maybe that's what it's going to do for you. I did a series of programs on the subject of overcoming sin, and I used an illustration that I'll briefly mention right now, just because it's very applicable to use in this context. That example was an example of adultery, whereas your spouse perhaps came home from a busy day and said, you know, I just wanted to tell you about something. I really needed to share something with you that I've always been ashamed of, but I'm not so ashamed anymore because something incredible happened today. You see, there are times I struggle with the temptations of adultery. I'm just using this as an example just to talk about a sin that people tend to talk about a lot when it comes to the subject of terrible, wicked, evil sins, and I do agree that it is. So I have to pick something that people really consider to be evil so that they can relate to this, I think, in a better way. But let's assume that your spouse comes to you and says, you know, every once in a while I struggle with the temptations of adultery, but this time, today, I had an incredible experience of overcoming this temptation, and so I just really wanted to tell you about it. I really wanted to tell you about it because I was victorious over this incredible temptation, because this person came to me and gave me this invitation to commit adultery, and I said no, even though this person was incredible. This person was so appealing, I just can't imagine how I could ever say no to such an opportunity. I'm just, again, I'm just using this as an example. And they tell you, they say this to you, they say, and the reason why I didn't do that, why I didn't fall to that temptation, is because I didn't want God to punish me. Now, how would that make you feel? Or if they said something like, I didn't do that because I didn't want to miss out on a blessing that God might be lining up for me. How would that make you feel? Well, that is how people look at the law. That is, as far as I'm concerned, from what I can tell, this is what people think of when it comes to the subject of the law of God. They expect that this is what it's going to do for them when it comes to sin. That it's going to inspire them to change either by the beatings or the blessings, but 
Either way, this is what people look at and they believe that this is what the law was given for. So it will do this for them in their lives to give people a reason or an excuse to say no to the temptations in life. But what about the change of an individual's heart? Well, we don't care about that. We don't need that. Not when we have the law. We don't need a change in our hearts in order to live in obedience to the law. We don't need that. All we need is incentives. That's what we need. But no, when it comes to the issues of the heart and the change of an individual from the inside, this has nothing to do with incentives. Absolutely nothing to do with incentives. So when it comes to living our lives, hoping that we will have a better life, an improved life, or maybe we can overcome sin in our lives, when it comes to these kinds of things, all of these pursuits will end in failure because the law was not given for any of those reasons. These are reasons that we believe, that we pursue, that we think are going to be realized in our lives. But my friend, this is not why he gave the law. He gave it to show you that you could do nothing and that it could do nothing for you, but show you more and more that you can do nothing. So that in the end, you would see that you have no hope outside of the mercy of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. At the beginning of verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. That's not to say that the law was weak or that there was something wrong with the law. There certainly was nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with the flesh. That's the problem. And that when you put the law and the flesh together, the law is weak in the sense that it's not going to do anything through the flesh. That is not to say that the law is weak in and of itself. It is weak when you try to put it together with the flesh because it's not going to do what people think it's going to do. Because there's nothing wrong with the law. There's something wrong with you. That's the problem. But again, what do people expect the law to do? They expect the law to help them overcome sin. That's what they expect. And in other cases, they expect the law to provide them with an opportunity to enter into the kingdom of heaven through the resolution of their sin, through becoming more righteous, through changing their behavior in such a way that they can be more acceptable to God. And so, of course, he's going to allow them to have a place in his kingdom because he wants people who are holy and righteous and religious to be there with him, doesn't he? Right? These are the kinds of things that people think. But the law could not do what people wanted it to do. People still look at it in the same way today, that people want the law to do something for them, and it's not going to do it. It's not going to do it because it wasn't given for that reason. Instead, God did. It's not about what the law does. It's about what he does. It's about what he did. What did he do? He dealt with the issue of sin, and this is how he did it. He didn't say, listen, this is what sin is, this is what holiness is, and we're going to do this. That's not how he did it. He said, yes, I understand that there is sin and I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it on my own because you obviously are not going to be able to do anything to deal with it. And I think I've given you plenty of time to give it your best effort. So he said that he would deal with it and he dealt with it. 
How did he deal with it? He dealt with it by dying for it. That's what he did. He dealt with it by providing for forgiveness. That's what he did. He said, you know what? This is not about what you think the law is going to do for you. And this is not about what you think you're going to do for me. This is about what I'm going to do for you. And that is to show you that you have no alternative but my forgiveness. That that is where it ends. And that's where it's going to start. But for most people, they never come to the point of recognizing that this is where it ends. And so they can never get started. But this is what he did. And he dealt with it by condemning the sin that was declared to be sin by the law. He condemned it by forgiving it. He said, this is sin and I'm going to condemn it. I'm going to put it away. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to say that it is over, that it is dead, that the issue of sin is dead, that the concerns of sin are dead and over with, that this is going to be over, that there is going to be nothing left, that this issue is going to be totally resolved. Continuing into verse 4, this is Romans chapter 8, verse 4, he said, So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. How was the requirement of the law fulfilled? Well, what are the requirements of the law? The requirements are simple. Obey or die. That's it. You either obey or you die. Those are the requirements. This is either life or death. There is nothing in between. There is no, I will try. You either do or you do not. There is no try here. You either did it or you didn't. And in this case, nobody has been able to do it. Nobody ever will do it. Unless they want to deceive themselves or attempt to deceive other people around them. I know a lot of people who've done that. And I can appreciate their desire to be sincere and true. They believe that if anybody can do it, they should be able to do it. And of course, if they compare themselves with anybody else, they might be a little bit more impressive than most everyone else. And so there's this belief that, of course, they're the ones who did it because there's no alternative. There's no one else who can obey more than they can. This is one of the ways that people rationalize their beliefs concerning this. But I do not see that at all. The requirement of the law is obedience or death. So again in verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. How was it fulfilled then? If it wasn't obedience, it was death. And so who's going to die for this? You're not going to die for this. You think your death is going to be adequate to deal with the issues concerning your own sins? It's not. It's not. It's never going to be. Your life isn't worth giving. That's how bad the situation is. So he did it. That's why he did it. That's why he had to do it. He fulfilled the requirement of the law on our behalf for us so that it could be fulfilled within us. He did it by dying personally for our sins. That's how he did it. He personally showed up and lived among us as a man. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fulfill the requirement of the law. He fulfilled the requirement of the law by coming and doing it himself. He obeyed, he lived, and he died. But what did he expect the law to do for him? Nothing. The law did nothing for him. He had no expectation that the law was going to do anything for him. There was no reason for him to have any expectation concerning that. There would be no purpose in that. 
How would you evaluate that? You know, the religious people during his time would say that he did not obey because his life was not a reflection of the blessings that they expected a person would receive if they were obedient to God. So from their point of view, he had to be disobedient at some point. But I see no evidence to suggest that that's the case. And the reason why is because I do not evaluate God on the basis of whatever blessings or rewards or whatever that you would expect him to receive. No, he obeyed and he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the requirement of the law by obeying it himself. And he also fulfilled the requirement of the law on our behalf by dying for us to provide for forgiveness and reconciliation so that we could have an opportunity to be resurrected by the living God and start in a completely new and different way of life. That is why he did that. That is what he has called us to. Now, it will be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There are two ways to look at this. First of all, we can look at this in the context of salvation, that because of what he did, we are now going to walk in the Spirit And we can walk trusting and resting, knowing that we will have a place in the kingdom of heaven. That is one way to look at this in the context of walking according to the Spirit. That we walk according to the Spirit of life that has been given to us. And so our placement, our position, our inheritance, our future is all based on what Jesus has done for us so that we can now walk in the newness of life. The requirement of the law will be fulfilled in us in the sense that we will live a life fully dependent, fully dependent on what he did on our behalf. But will we also see a reduction in sin? Well, absolutely, I would expect to see that to some degree at least in everyone's life. And if there is no No reduction of sin in a believer's life, I would be a little bit concerned. I would. Now, I'm not saying that it's mandatory. I'm just saying that I would expect on occasion that a believer, a child of the living God, would actually say no to sin. I would expect that. I don't think that's an unrealistic expectation, that a believer in Christ Jesus would say no to sin on occasion. I don't think that's unrealistic at all. But it certainly is not going to happen because an individual is trying to repent from their sins or obey God because the law is right in front of them and they can see that this is the righteousness of God. No, the law is fulfilled in us through the Spirit because He changes our heart. He changes our heart in such a way that we will say no to sin because He fulfills us from the inside and meets the deepest needs of our hearts. That is to me, is how the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Might be fulfilled in us. The requirement of the law to say no to sin and to not do it and to really mean it and to want something different, that requirement is fulfilled in us because he changes us from the inside. Not because of the law, but because of his spirit, because of him within us. So I do expect that to happen to a certain degree in everyone's life when they turn to him for who he is. But walking according to the Spirit means that we walk according to the truth that the requirement of the law has already been fulfilled. That, to me, is where we start. And as a side effect of our relationship with our God, 
we will experience a change in transformation that he does within his people to the extent that we will experience a moment, at least, in our lives when we say no to sin because of who he is to us and how he meets the deepest needs that we have. So God accomplished this, not through the law. He used the law to show us that we would have no alternative but to turn to him personally. He accomplished this by transforming us through fulfilling the requirements of the law to take it away so that he can institute a new covenant. And through this new covenant and this new relationship that he has called us to, he can do a work within us that the law could never do because it wasn't designed for that purpose and we weren't designed for that purpose. Through the relationship with him, we will experience change and transformation. But this, of course, is still not the goal. This is not where the accomplishment is truly to be declared. The accomplishment to be declared that he has done is he has provided us with the means, the opportunity. He has provided us with a way that we can know who he is. Because through all of this, we will discover who he is. And that is the accomplishment. And that is something that the law could have never done. It was never given for that reason. But this is the reason why you are here. Never forget it. You are here to know your God. So what could the law not do? It could not get you into heaven. It could not stop you from sinning. It could not make you right with God. You could not use it so that you could move the hand of God so that he would intervene in a divine way in your life. There is no way that you can ever know your God through the law. The law could not do that because it was given for other reasons. God did this through the Lord Jesus by dying for your sins, resurrecting you from the dead so that you can be set free from the law so that you can begin to walk in the newness of life and he can reveal to you who he is personally. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net.